0: Last year was kind of a year for this with a orcas form what's called a super pod. Now Homer, especially in Alaska, like there's a, a road called Baycrest. when people drive from Anchorage and come up over Baycrest, they get the whole spread of Kachamek Bay State Park on a good day when it's clear. Mm-hmm. And they say that's the thing that just burns it into their brain that this is where they want to be.
1: I think I could say with a fair degree of certainty. That's the first time we've talked about blowing chunks <laughs> on the podcast. And,
2: so do you close down your water taxi and go surfing? Some of us do, yeah. There's actually, like, so I'm, I'm pretty active.
1: Well, as you know, we've been spending this week in Homer, Alaska. Uh, we've made a lot of good contacts here. We're, we're to the point where we think this is definitely a location that we're going to want to come back to and probably visit some different areas and different uh, wildlife opportunities than what we've been doing this week. We were fortunate enough to make the acquaintance of Kurt Jackson. Uh, Kurt's with Mako's Water yeah. Taxi. Been around
0: yep. for 25 years now.
2: What is a water taxi?
0: So we are on the edge of Kachemak Bay State Park. It's 500,000 acres of relatively wild land. It's called Kachemak Bay State Park and Wilderness Park because the majority of it is completely roadless and very few trails. And it it goes up against the Harding Ice Field, which is 60 miles of glaciers and jagged rugged peaks that are just pretty uh inaccessible in a lot of ways except by water. So we provide the service to get people from Homer to the various locations in Ketchumack Bay State Park.
1: So a lot of what you do you're taking people to different trailheads around the area in these different bays and so they can access different points of the wilderness, correct? Yeah,
0: that's correct. We have, like, on our hoodie sweatshirt, there are 22 locations, and we joke that that's about a third of where we actually go. Like, there's a <laughs> many places we can go to. And then for people that just have a place that they want to go to on their own, some private little beach, we will gladly take them there as well. Yeah.
2: So it would be private as in... so. In holdings? Probably so they're the private people- in
0: holdings. And then just like if you want to find your own little private piece of paradise, you know, you're allowed to do that too. Like as far as an access point where we know that very few people go there and it's a nice place to hang out and spend put a tent up for the night. So,
2: How many people do that?
0: Uh, you know, so last year I had almost 5,000 people on my boat alone. And there are five water taxis just within Mako's fleet. So multiply that. and The number of visitors to Homer is pretty incredible. But still with 500,000 acres you get out here and it still feels like you got the place to yourself. So, you know, maybe four or five hundred people a year will just kind of go someplace. No one places, no one goes there. So,
1: And that's why I like Alaska so much is it's a lot like Wyoming in that you can, if you want to escape, you can.
2: Totally, yeah. So you said you came here 20 years ago.
0: Yeah. So I came here, I'm a graduate of Purdue University in Indiana, West Lafayette. I spent 20 years in Indiana but I think when I was probably five or six years old, I remember watching like National Geographic talk about Alaska and it just planted that seed that just grew and grew and grew. So I got done with school. I just took off from Indiana and always wanted to work on the ocean my whole life, ever since I was probably four or five years old, I think. And so I worked in California for uh, about six years. I did stuff with uh, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association as a biologist, working to my master's degree with the swordfish fishery out there. And that... That fishery is so crazy because they still harpoon those swordfish. So they have a plank that's like 20 feet long that drops down off the front. A guy goes way out on the plank and then sticks those fish, and then they run with a keg on the end just like jaws. So Mm -hmm. it's pretty amazing to watch. But I was there as a biologist to sample catches and see what's going on. But my buddies that were in that that, uh, department with me said, you should go see Alaska within the next year. So I came up here and just
2: fell in love with it. And you never left?
0: Never left. Yeah, That's
2: a a common story, right? Right,
0: yeah. No, Homer, especially in Alaska, like there's a a road called Baycrest. When people drive from Anchorage and come up over Baycrest, they get the whole spread of Kachemek Bay State Park on a good day when it's clear. Mm -hmm. And they say that's the thing that just burns it into their brain that this is where they want to be.
2: So So you didn't own a boat?
0: No, so so I came. Yeah, so I was working as a biologist at the time, and I uh, was working on a crab boat called the Lady Blackie which uh, was king crab fishing in the Bering Sea. So I was working as a biologist on a king crab boat. And I came here in uh, the end of December, first part of January. And the whole harbor was frozen over. There was ice everywhere. But I looked around. I was like, this is where I want to live. This is amazing.
1: So, how were you received as a biologist on, on the king crab, on the <laughs> you, commercial fishing? You boat? hear a lot of like, how's that
0: college degree helping you out now? <laughs> <laughs> Here, catch this, weigh this. You know, it, you get chewed on for sure. But it, the thing that happened to me is that I found like the, it's called you're, you're a fisheries observer, is what you do. So, I was out there and I found myself done with my fisheries observer duties within, you know, four or five hours and had the rest of the day to kind of hang out. Well, teach me how to clean a swordfish teach me how to do this and tie some knots and i steadily kind of crept into the land of being a deckhand so but the next year i got an offer to work on the boat as a deckhand and biology is a wonderful <laughs> career but it doesn't pay very well like i had guys that were making a hundred thousand dollars a year in five months fishing halibut so i was like i'm gonna to try to go halibut fishing for a little while so i went halibut fishing the very next year paid off all my student loans. Got a big chunk of it towards a down payment on a boat, so it's real lucrative.
2: Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, but it's
0: the hardest work I've ever done. It's really tough. Mm -hmm. A lot of 20-hour days. And but what's how long is that season? Uh, So halibut starts March 15th and ends November 15th. Whoa. So you and it's now a quota-based fishery, and that's the way crab has gone as well. So uh, it used to be a derby fishery where they would fire the gun on like say whatever it was August 1st and say, okay, we're gonna start here, there's 100,000 pounds of halibut to catch or a million pounds, whatever the number is, and you have six days to catch it. To the victor go the spoils. And you just watch everybody tear out of here, slam gear down, and so people sitting down on top of each other, it's just a free for all. and. Then once it's caught, you're done. You can't catch any more. What they found was it was really hard on the stocks. The guys were losing gear. And then safety. Because if you decided that August 1st was your day, but the weather all of a sudden decided to blow 55, you're still going. You have Mm -hmm. to keep going. So a lot of people were getting hurt. We have a seafarers memorial right here in Homer. There Mm -hmm. are a lot of fishermen's names in that memorial just from those experiences there. So now it's a quota base. So now it's each boat is allocated... 100,000 pounds, 200,000 pounds, whatever it is. And now they can buy and sell and trade it like a stock. A pound sell of
1: halibut. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So, for example, right now, if you want to catch a pound of halibut out there or own it, it's now $70 a pound to buy. So, if you want to, so if you get, you, so there's guys who got 100,000 pounds of halibut, that's worth, you know, simple $7 million. So, yeah. Jeez.
2: Wow. Yeah. So how did you transition from... So you, obviously it was the money, right? And you said yep. you got a down payment on your boat. Right, right. So, so was that your intention all along? or did Well, you just I, I really that?
0: love fishing. It's an amazing experience. Like Alaska is a huge, huge state. Like the Aleutian chain goes out a thousand miles west of here. And there are... My wife, born and raised right here in Homer, she's seen very little of the state because it's so big. And on a fishing boat, you go all over the place. You get to see so many places. So I got to see all the way out to what's called Attu Island, and that, too, was one of the few islands that was actually conquered by the Japanese during World War Two. War II, yep. So you go out there, and it's a battleground. You'll find there's piles. There's still the, the forts. Yep. The- You'll find piles of spent, like, Japanese ammunition. 50 feet away, a pile of spent American ammunition where they were shooting at each other 70-some years ago. It says Whoa. nobody goes out there. So it's an incredible That's experience. Crazy. But I would leave here March 15th. And I wouldn't come back to like, September. So and you don't ever come back? Well, you go all over the place. You go to Juneau, you go to Cordova, you're delivered to all these different ports. And that's hard on a marriage. <laughs> My wife was like, okay, let's try to figure something else <laughs> out here. <laughs> but money's good, oh, yeah. but you're gone too much. So yeah.
2: so how's that transition to your time now? I mean, you're still a busy dude, right? Still because
0: busy, yeah. Like, man, like, water taxi work. In the wintertime it slows down to a degree, but then you're dealing with weather and everything. And the, the, the tourism is not as much. There's more local traffic that you're doing. Uh, but now we're again, we're seeing warmer summers or warmer uh, springs now here in Alaska. So people are coming up here earlier. They're going out earlier. And now we have daylight till nine o'clock at night. So we're right. busy.
1: Uh, and obviously, I mean, just looking at the time that we were trying to work something out to, to get you in here and have a conversation. Yesterday, as <laughs> yeah. the weekend starts, yeah, it you just you up right like in. crazy. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I started the day with having four hours of mine to play with. So I blocked you guys into coming in and talk to you. And then right away, people started calling. I need to go, I need to go, and then filled all up. So it started, went from 7 o'clock in the morning till 8 o'clock at night yesterday. It's going to do the exact same thing today. I, right now, I have a, a woman that is learning to run my boat. She's got a 100-ton license. She used to operate the fast ferry. From the town Seldovia near here to Homer, so she's gonna be my fill-in, so I can get two days off just to catch my breath. Because right. yeah, the twelve to thirteen hour days thing, you you find it a little harder to ask what el- or answer the question like what elevation we're at when you're on the boat. You know, <laughs> you're like, we're at sea level, everybody. <laughs> we're at sea level. You know, but you get asked at least once a day by people all the time,
2: what elevation is this? Like at sea level. When yeah. do they let the bears out? Of when do the bears
1: come
0: out? <laughs> Can you make the whales show up? Yeah. Like, so there's all these things. Yeah, how do
1: yeah. we do that?
2: <laughs> yeah. And
0: Homer is, we're fortunate enough that we're not as much of a cruise ship town as some of the other port towns in Alaska are. But now we're going to get the most cruise ships we've ever gotten. I think it's 20 cruise ships this summer. And it, it definitely, the cruise ship folks, they're, they're not used to kind of figuring out their trip on their own. Like they show up here and they kind of want to be able you to take everything told, care of them. Yeah. What's next? Yeah. What should we do? And so, yeah, they need to be When does that do. show up? First one is May fifteenth. And, and then, then it goes do all it go the way to September seventeenth is the last one.
1: What do you have? One one a, week, one a week, typically. Yeah.
0: Whereas like towns like Whittier and Valdez, it's one every day, three every day, four. They get a lot. So and that a- that just affects if you're someone that's trying to take, you know, photographs of wildlife in quiet secluded areas and a whole city moves in every day i mean it really can affect things for sure
1: absolutely yeah. so
2: i want to back up sure. you said that it's warmer it's right. getting have you seen that in 20 years i mean that, have you seen it from when you first got here till now it's so much warmer so much faster so
0: temperature wise um we're just they just reported that alaska hit its uh, 70 degrees in alaska for the f- earliest time ever And I've just heard so many reports from people that we're kind of the canary in the coal mine as things are changing. It's changing faster and faster at the northern latitudes. Our glacier that we like to take people to is called Gruink Glacier. It's the shortest distance from here. It's a four-mile hike. It's real easy access. Uh, It lost 400 yards last year alone. So it was a two-mile hike to get to the face of the glacier from the lake edge. Now it's two and a half miles to get there. And that that chunk is broken away. And that ice is 2,000 years old. So stuff's happening fast.
2: So when you first got here, would the bay be frozen?
0: No, so the Kachemak Bay is about 10 miles across from the state park to Homer. And i talked to old timers that have been here since the forties and they say that 43 or 44 was the last super cold winter that enabled this whole bay to go to go be frozen. The Harbor itself does freeze. And even last year it froze. Like, But when I first came here in 99, the bay was for, or the harbor was frozen and then all the way out into the bay maybe a mile was ice and that just doesn't happen as much anymore
2: what's the thought process with that locally with you, i mean is that something that concerns you yeah, yeah i mean I, the thing it's nice
0: is homer has got a lot of science minded people here and and it's it's a discussion that we have all the time and and i get a lot of people say well, what do you think about this whole climate change thing or what do you think's going on i'm like well the same people that i rely on to give me cell phone technology and give me all this other stuff science the majority of scientists say hey there's something going on here and it's pretty scary we got to get a handle on it so you know the numbers don't really lie to me that's like i, I just see we see it warmer earlier we see ice disappearing faster than ever before like there are people say, well you know there's a couple of glaciers that are growing a couple i understand but the majority of them like glacier national park down lower 48 will be ice free in like by 2030, 2035. Yosemite will be glacier free in like another 10 years. I mean it's happening really fast. And I have a 3-year-old son and I think about that all the time. Like what am I what kind of world am I going to leave him in? A world that's changing yeah. this fast is pretty scary to me.
1: Yeah, the thing that we don't know though you know, we've got 100 years of recorded history. Right. The thing that we don't know is is this a cycle? Right. Or is this a permanent impact? Right. And I think, you know, there's a lot of speculation one way or the other, but it it is scary. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And like I've had people say, well, you know, those glaciers are receding. There's trees underneath those glaciers. It's like, those trees are 2,000 years old. (laughs) You know, they were locked in ice a long time ago. So it's just the rate of change that's happening. And again, the people that... You know, they're really, they have big degrees, and some and and people who get on the boat, they're like, well, you know, degree doesn't mean everything, just like the fishermen would say to me. Mm-hmm. And I agree, like there's a lot to common sense, but there are a lot of people that have spent their entire lives studying this thing, and, and they're concerned, so I, I'm concerned.
2: Right. So we're a wildlife photography podcast, and yes. obviously wildlife is our passion. Right. How does that affect the wildlife? What have you seen that's changed? I have here?
0: hummingbirds year-round now. I never had 20 years ago. I did not Seriously, have yeah. Anna's hummingbird, like hanging out around our feeder. Like we had, a, you know, just we leave the feeder out. They just decided that's time to go ahead and stay the whole year. So, so it doesn't get cold enough. Nope. No. I, like I, I, again, I saw almost minus temperatures 20 years ago, and I just haven't seen that in the last, you know, six, seven, six, seven years. So.
2: How does that affect like the whales or the eagles or the... So we have what's called the blob
0: factor right now, and that's a huge warm water mass. And again, the ocean does its, does the majority of absorbing of the atmospheric temperature. So we're seeing the ocean is kind of saving us a lot of ways for as the spike happens in temperature, the ocean's sucking a lot of it up. But now we have this big warm water current that's moved off the coast of Kodiak, and it's affected cod stocks, it's affected the bait stocks, and there's just we're seeing things start to starve in some areas. Some whales, like I, the numbers aren't as much as they were a few years ago. They're kind of all over the place, but we are seeing big changes in the fisheries.
1: Now, do you think they're just displaced?
0: Uh, fisher. A lot of the, the research shows that uh, there's some northern displacement. They're getting mm-hmm. pushed further north. There's cod and halibut being seen further north than kind of ever before. A lot of the uh, shorebirds are now getting pushed further north but other than that, I don't know. Yeah.
2: So how does it affect your, your business? I mean, cause you're a water taxi, obviously transporting people back and forth, but a lot of it you do is wildlife viewing too, That's right? A, actually, yeah, absolutely. Is so, it better or worse now?
0: Uh, well, so we have a longer season to right. do it. So like right now it is March and we are taking wildlife tours. People are going out and it's, it's great. And then, it's not snow, it's not ice out there right now. So that aspect of the bump in tourism has been really nice. Um, it, there is certainly, without its irony, that I'm driving a boat that has 500 horsepower in the back that burns 15 to 16 gallons of gas an hour to take people to go see a glacier that lost 400 yards. We're actively trying to just to see the implementation of electric engines. So that's coming around in the next few years. Norway, Germany has developed some pretty stellar 150 200 horsepower electric engines. So...
1: But, how do I mean is it just a charge?
0: Yeah. So it's got you basically replace your fuel tank like with a big hybrid battery pack. Yep, yep. Yeah, big battery pack.
2: So that'd be pretty yeah. sweet. Yeah, and then you got quiet. Of, you could
0: yeah. have the ocean current
2: creating right. electricity, right?
0: Well, you have all kinds of ideas like that. So you have solar cells up on top of your boat, so you're sitting there at anchor generating, you charging your batteries up. So yeah, I'm trying to figure that stuff out for sure. But
2: mm-hmm.
0: we have seen uh like domoic acid is a toxin that is released in higher concentrations as the water warms up. I'm involved with the Kachemak Bay Research Reserve Institute, and they have monitoring stations all throughout Kachemak Bay. And they've seen a, almost a two to three degree temperature uptick in the last 20 years. And again, it's like there's this economy of scale that has a couple degrees it doesn't sound like much, but when you talk about ecosystem, it's a big change. It really starts to. Well, affect they were talks
1: last year. On the Norway side, so off the East Coast. Right. They were talking about a half degree cooling in some areas. Right. And then the other thing with the the water off the coast of Alaska is in talking to some meteorologists in, in the States, it affects the jet stream. So Wyoming is typically desert, right. but we're getting a lot more rain than the Midwest states, right. quote unquote, right. that are used to it. And yeah. so all those crops are being affected like the, because yeah. they don't have the water
0: yeah and i, I always like the term global weirding as opposed to warming you know because it's just it is just, just people are like disease. this is not the weather we experienced 20 30 years ago and mm-hmm. it's again are they just like cycles that are kind of thrown a little bit out of whack i don't know but uh so the acid thing though real quick uh we had we have a, a bird here called the common mirror and there's an island about four miles away from homer a really popular destination called gull island that's got, at the height of the summer, 22 to 23,000 nesting seabirds there. And the common mirror is about 10,000 of those birds is on, on Gull Island. And two years ago, I was driving the boat around. Typically, by September, October, those mirrors all leave. They're gone. September, end of October, mirrors are still around. November, they're still around. And then by the end of November, I was driving back in one of the bays, and I came upon a flock of maybe a 1,000 to 2,000 mirrors my boat can travel at 30 knots at top speed. They just cruise along. And those birds typically get out of your way. Those birds did not move. They were just laying there stunned. So I had to slam it in reverse. I ended up running over some. And then it turns out that these birds were all starving to death. And this domoic acid that they think is one of the causes was causing some sort of brain damage that would inna- like make them unable to forage for food. Next thing you know, we lost like 6,000 or 7,000 dead murers all over the coast. Alaska, uh, like it, up near Anchorage, all along the Kenai Peninsula, Cook Inlet, there were dead birds all over this coastline here.
2: And that's given off by the water temperature increase, right? Right. So, so it's, it's not even like it's a man-made. Well,
0: ripple effect. Right. It's a ripple effect. Exactly. You know, it's like all these things we're seeing. Like it's like the amphibians. Like I just read the thing about the path the the pathogen that was killing off so many frogs. It's mm-hmm. temperature related. You know, so yeah. the frogs become more susceptible to temperature so yeah it's just we're kind of in this weird unknown who knows what's gonna happen next kind of thing so yeah
2: which is interesting as a wildlife photographer you <laughs> want to see this stuff be there it's like you said for your son right right he walks this that, stuff yeah. around, and,
0: and I think people come to Alaska with the idea that they're walking around pristine wilderness you know and in a lot of ways it still is there are places that, I, that we're looking at out the window right now that I know a human being has never set foot like it's just such a big place and if you do the crossing from here all the way across the 60 miles of glaciers, the Harding Ice Field, you know, that's a few hundred people have ever done that trip. So there's really these incredible access points. And you want to be able to have that be available to everybody, you know, it's for eternity. But you start to see these big changes happen. It's definitely a concern. So that's all
2: concerning stuff. Yeah. For the fun right. stuff. The fun stuff, yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, we are still surrounded by some of the most beautiful sights on Earth. I mean, again, I've been here 20 years, and it, it, daily it continues to astound me. I, just yesterday I was cruising through and we saw two orcas just show up off the boat and they want to come and see what you're doing. And so we found out like some kind of interesting techniques with orcas. If you turn off your depth sounder that's sending out that steady ping, a whale that relies on echolocation will be much more willing to come by and check the boat out. So we just, oh, turn your sounders off or we get real quiet. Next thing you know, they want to come by and see what you're up to. Really? Yeah. And So we operate year round and I'll be out there and I know for that 20-mile stretch of bay, my little 32-foot boat's the only boat in the bay. And orcas will just show up out of nowhere. And it, it, it causes you to lean back into the boat a little bit when you see a 30-foot-long predator kind of stick its mouth out of the water. And you know you're the only guy out there. But it's just that humbling, awesome experience. What and else do you get to yeah. see? So uh, orcas are great. We've had finback whales come back in here a few times. You get In the summertime, we've had 50 or 60 humpbacks will come in here. And they do what's called a plunge feeding. And the plunge feeding is where they lift their entire chin up out of the water and then slam it down. It makes a big wave splash. And that drives the bait fish that they're chasing after all into a big pile. Down south, like Juneau, they do what's called bubble feeding, make a big circle, and they come up through the middle. For whatever reason, they don't do that up here. They make this plunge feeding, and you'll see a whale stick its whole head up out of the water 50, 60 times in a row. Boom, 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 boom. And then you can see the water just boiling with all of these fish, and they just suck them all up. So it's just that's an interesting
1: behavior observation. That I mean, it's not that far, but if you look at the differences in behavior, feeding styles, is it something that's learned? Is it something that's just effective here, right? Versus well, they said we were in
2: Seward last year and we got Mm -hmm. the bubble net feeding. Oh, yeah. Right outside of the, right in Resurrection Bay, not that far from town. Not far from here. they said that's not common. (laughs) Right, right. So maybe they're, you know. Spreading out. Spreading out. I mean, maybe it'll show up here. Who knows? What kind of fish are they going after? Herring? Uh,
0: there's sand lance, which is about a one-inch long fish. Yeah, juvenile, young of the year herring. They go after those. Sometimes they'll get schools of krill in here they'll go after, plankton. So, uh, all those small little fish. I've been told that anatomically humpback whale's esophagus is about the diameter of a soda pop can so whatever they eat has to kind of be turned into this shake that they can
2: inhale yeah i heard that last year when we were on that yeah. trip it's amazing an animal that size that's what they reduce it down to right yeah so we also have every
0: now and then last year was kind of a year for this where a orcas form was called a superpod, and that's a chance uh whale biologists think that that's a chance for some outbreeding to happen because a pod is typically 15 to 20 animals from around there. And so they try to spread the genetics out a little bit and they have a big gathering where orcas come from two, three 300, 400 miles around to gather and breed. And so you'll get 100 orcas all in one place and they'll just have a breeding event and then they'll have this big feasting event. And the first time that I would remember that happening was in 2007. And the, we came out around the corner, uh, it's about 10 miles from here, there were 100 plus dorsal fins, all, as far as you can see, just orcas everywhere. That's crazy. Awesome sight. The very next week, the dead humpbacks started to show up. So I guess these orcas decided to get together and go after our, our humpbacks that were hanging out here, and the way that an orca kills a humpback is they grab onto the pectoral fins, one climbs up on top and drowns mm-hmm. them. And so they would just rip out the tongues and leave the rest. So orcas are pretty vicious. (laughs) They're incredible. What
2: happens? Do they wash up eventually? Mm -hmm. They come washing down
0: through the bay. Yep. Yeah. You see them. You'll see this big carcass, and like eagles will actually land on the carcass and pick fat off of it. But you'll see this carcass drifting by, and the mouth is all a shambles because they've gone after it.
2: So, and then once it washes up on a beach somewhere, it's bears. Bears will kind of wall around it. Black bears, brown bears. Black
0: bears, brown bears. Homer. I will say, some people come to Homer hoping to see brown bears. And across the bay, 90% of the bay is black bears. The brown bears will be at the head of the bay, and they're a little more inaccessible. But from Homer is the flight over to Katmai, and those are just the awesome experiences yeah. there for the bears.
1: Brown Some bears. of the most accessible, most photographable bears yes. on the planet.
0: Yeah, incredible. Like I have st- sat in the grass and had 25 brown bears around me. I had a cub climb over my shoes one time, and the sow just woofed at it, and then it kind of got off of there. But... As someone that's around bears that are not typically like that, I've been always told, you see a cub and souse, you get out of there. You get away from them. And this, this uh, guy that I was with at the time said, don't move, just sit there. And this cub just came snuffling along. And yeah, it's an amazing experience.
2: A lot of times it is the young ones you got to worry about, right? right. Because they, they are just curious. Yeah, They're, they're not trying to they're cause harm. Just being harm, little kids. But then yeah. it's that whole dynamic of uh, <laughs> they send off one little warning thing in mama's. Right. Yep. yep
1: mom's gonna gather them back up one way or another that's
2: right if you could just maybe spring summer winter and fall if if someone is wanting to come here and photograph something could you just give highlights for each one of those seasons and and what might be the most obviously nothing's guaranteed sure but, but what's the best thing to count on for that time of year
0: okay yeah so let's we'll start with the fall uh because that's i'd say fall is like scenery wise is some of the most beautiful because the colors are here we have a a plant called fireweed that turns purple like brilliantly purple and so if you get that when it's really in bloom you'll get these incredible backgrounds and that's when the moose will have full rack and typically be in velvet so you'll see some of those the black bears are feeding on berries so they'll be around the eagles will still be here the puffins will probably still be here but you're at that edge where you're going to start losing they're going to start taking off uh, then the first snow falls you get first frost and the, the first uh, bits of snow will be up on the peaks and the whales will be just getting – so it's at that tail end, you know, so – and crowds-wise. <clears throat> like the summertime, crowds are pretty intense, at least in Homer. In the fall, my favorite time is shoulder season as far as just lack of crowds. Mm-hmm. And then once the winter comes along, you'll get just really beautiful ice areas. The eagles are here all winter long. Uh, they're not here in strong concentrations, though. That, that happens February, March, and into the spring. So you will see eagles. There will still be a, lots of sea ducks. So the harlequin sea ducks, goldeneye, surf scoters. We have great blue herons that are all here here year round, and then we have lots of just beautiful like uh, passerine songbirds that are here mm-hmm. that are all feasting on the pine trees or on the spruce trees. So that's winter. Uh, the winter again. It's Alaska, so by December, sun rises and until 10:30, 11 o'clock in the morning. By four o'clock, it's dark. So the, that light is a real limiting factor. Springtime, the lights bouncing back again. here it is. It's March, the end of March, the sun rose at like 7 o'clock this morning. It's going to set at 8.45 tonight. Lots of daylight to play with. The Eagles are here in large numbers. Um, Their orcas are here. The whales are just starting to kind of show up. I've been hearing a few reports. The bears are starting to wake up, so the black bears are starting to get on the move. The mountain goats have really beautiful white coats. But the snow was going away, so you have a good chance of being able to see mountain goats up against a background where they would really be seen. Stick out a bit. Yeah. And the seals are here uh, year-round. And then Kachemag Bay has 6,000 sea otters. So the odds of seeing an otter any time of year is really good. This time of year, lots of pups.
2: Why is that? Just because they're older and they're... they're, This time of year, the pups are older, so they're showing up. Yeah, more accustomed to people. Just pupping season seems like it happens January. Oh, it Not, does. It's, oh, really? it's been
0: happening more and more kind of throughout the year. We see pups throughout, young pups throughout the entire year. Uh, but the majority seems like it's like January, February, in the winter months. Oh, and really? you're starting to see them with young ones.
1: We were able to photograph and and film two. Uh, we don't know if the eagles killed them, but there were two carcasses, one on e- either side of the spit.
0: Oh, yeah. Does that happen a lot? Yes, so with 6,000 otters, there, there's definitely a fair number that do get killed. They're also, Native Alaskans are allowed to hunt them, so occasionally they will be shot for their pelts.
2: Um, but then you'll typically see a carcass that has no pelt. It's been removed. No, they won't. So that would be that. Yeah. These had pelts. Okay. Yeah, what would cause did. that? Would it be a whale? Or Would it be a bird? Would it be a boat accident? Yeah.
0: So with boat traffic isn't as, as high right now, but boat strikes do happen. Um, they've also been susceptible to a virus uh, that causes some sub-cardiac uh, uh, disease. So we've had numerous otters. Usually, if you do see an otter carcass, we ask that you call uh, the veterinarians. And they'll call the, uh, the, sea la- the Seward Sea Life Center. And they will come in and collect the carcass and do a study on it. Because they're marine mammals, and they're protected under the Marine Mammal Protection Act.
1: We will do that.
0: So,
2: yeah.
1: Didn't even cross So my I wonder mind if that, there.
2: it only affects the otters. So if the eagles are eating that otter... It doesn't affect them. It wouldn't right. affect it's the not eagles. It's been, not been shown to affect birds at all. It's just the uh, mammals. Yeah. Ah.
0: Sometimes dogs. Like if I, I have two uh, Labradors that I don't let near, near otter, otter carcass because there's a be potential of them getting sick. Very rare. I've only had a couple instances of it, but again, yeah.
2: Wow. Yeah. A have to keep on your toes. Bob. <laughs> yeah, <no laughs>
1: <It's> Alaska. <laughs> so there's a there's also a shorebird festival. In, yeah, that's so at that the end lead, of the spring. Right? That
0: would lead me into summer. So then shorebird festival is kind of the summertime kickoff, and that's when we have tens of thousands of birds that are here for a week or four days. They're on their way just north. Just transition Transitional, point. yeah. There's ruddy turnstones, there's uh, plovers, there's wimbrels, there's godwits, like all these incredible birds that are just here and then they're gone. So we'll have about, I think, Shorebird last year was maybe 1,500 to 2,000 people come for Shorebird. And lots of photographers, you'll go down the Spit and there'll be big cameras stretched out ready to go, people, uh, you know, just taking pictures.
2: So is that just generally on those mud flats out there? Mud
0: flats, and then we do several tours. So what I am now offering is um, an ROV tour, which an ROV is basically a drone that goes underwater. And by the first or second week of May, there'll be 15,000 diving birds here called an Alcid. So a puffin's an Alcid, a mirror's an Alcid, and they can go down, like a puffin can go 200 feet down, a common mirror can go 500 feet down, a loon can go 300 feet down, And so I send this ROV down over the side. It's got a 4K camera on the front, and uh, it can film and send a signal back to the boat. And people can actually see these birds swimming around chasing fish. It's a really incredible thing to watch. That is awesome. Can you record it? Yeah, it can be recorded. Yeah.
1: Now, obviously, you can't do that with marine mammals, but with the birds that's a unique opportunity that's i don't right. think i've mm-hmm. ever heard that before well
0: and you you can do it with marine mammals as long as the marine mammal is engaging you you're not engaging right it yeah right.
1: you just can't close the distance that's right yep, yep yeah
0: and we there's some pretty it's a company called open source rov and the, the rov is called the trident and they've really kick-started it and uh, national geographic given them this big grant so there's thousands of them out there now and they have some amazing footage of norway of, of orcas just like planting it underneath the boat, and the orcas are coming up to it, wondering what's going on. And it's really inexpensive. It's a twelve hundred dollar drone.
2: It's so. just like the aerial drones, right. right? Yeah, yeah the cost has gotten down, 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 down. Yep, yeah, just knocking it and down. It probably has that gimbal built in. Yep, mm-hmm. nice solid. Yep, wow. Yeah,
1: it's fun stuff. So in the summer, also you. So that's our pick peaks. up on the bays right. and yeah. taking people out.
0: For so we have people that like. There's. uh 50 or 60 miles of hiking trails that people like to go to we have sea kayaks that we rent there's what's called the catchemak water trail which is basically paddled the entire perimeter which i think is 90 miles along catchemak bay and there's stops about 10 to 15 miles apart that you can go and camp at everyone so it's a really nice way to go explore the bay in the summertime water temperatures get to be 52 53 degrees they're not ridiculously cold anymore right so
1: that's pretty cold (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, we have a pretty good surfing contingent here and we surf all winter long because that's when the waves we were good. talking
1: about that as we were driving down from 30, anchorage yeah. <laughs> yeah we're driving down from anchorage and we're talking about those guys that surf the bore tide, right right as I it just comes yeah. into the so you can
2: surf arm, out
0: here gonna... yeah yeah so it, you need a real good westerly southwesterly to wrap it around and then no wind because it gets blown out otherwise and you know I, I learned how to surf in california where you could surf every day almost and right. out here it's like Couple times a month, you get really good surfing. So, do you
2: close down your water taxi and go surfing?
0: Some of us do, yeah. There's actually, so I'm pretty active. I'm the promoter on our Facebook page, and I actually have a Facebook post that said, You know, you're working in a good place when you get to go fill in for a guy to go surfing.
2: That's pretty That is awesome. Yeah, yeah. We saw a person out uh, paddleboarding today.
0: Stand up paddleboarding, really popular. We rent stand up paddleboards, and it's an awesome way to get around. Some people get in a kayak and they feel a little claustrophobic, like they're kind of stuck in there, and a wet exit seems a little dicey but a stand up paddleboard you're up there you can go all over with them and
2: that's yeah, a great way to get around you very rarely, rarely get wet unless you want to hmm. so. so we've been here for what a week this water has been relatively flat the whole week is this common or is this this pretty is really, unusual? pretty amazing right now to have
0: like 14 days of variable which is like 10 mile per hour forecast for march is really pretty interesting just a week ago so it's Nine days ago or so, we had 10-foot seas in Kachamak Bay. So the, the bay can get very rough at times. Wow. Summertime, much less likely, it calms down quite a bit. Uh, I think we only had two other days last summer where people looked at and said, we don't want to go. We'll run. We run in 10 to 12-foot seas. We'll get you out there. And the boats are safe. They're really built for it. But some people just don't want to be out in that kind of weather.
1: Well, I can understand that. But at the same time, you've come a long way. <laughs> a lot of you've invested a lot of time to get here and
0: and for our eagle photographers that are here in the spring that's something that was one of the deals where they had come from texas and florida they had reserved a year in advance and we you know say we can take you to places where the water won't be as rough but if we go to these places uh where we'd like to take you the eagles are going to be great it's just going to be a 15 minute bumpy boat ride and if you're sure. up for it we'll go
2: all right so what percentage of people on your boat yes. are blowing chunks over the side As opposed to not. (laughs) I've had this boat now for four, no, five years. I've been running water taxis
0: for almost nine years, and I've only had two people get sick. Only two. Really? Small boats, I think you fresh air. You're typically moving. You're not sitting in one place wallowing around like a fishing boat. People feel a little green, but we're there by the time they start getting to the point of no return. So, yeah,
1: yeah. I think I can say what's... A fair degree of certainty. That's the first time we've talked about blowing chunks <laughs> on the podcast. Ever. That's well, good. It's, that's a salty I'm subject. glad we got that yeah, clear now. that's enough. good. Yeah. yeah. So, so,
2: oh, go ahead.
1: Well, I just, you know, you're doing these water tours, and obviously that's where the vast majority of the biodiversity is going to occur is along the waterway anyway. Right. Are there, I, I know there's a lot of planes that fly people across the bay to Katmai and mm-hmm. Lake Clark and the other areas where these the brown bears are easily photographed. What what other opportunities are there for somebody in Homer? Uh,
0: as far as are wildlife there some photography, terrestrial yeah, viewing some opportunities, that kind of thing. Yeah, we have a, a solid at least a hundred plus moose that just stay right here in town, and so again in the summer they'll just start to show their racks by August. They have a full rack. It's in velvet, and there are three different nature trails right here in town without having to go across the bay that you can get access to. And people see moose there about every day. Uh, There's a pretty thriving coyote population. There's an area called Beluga Slough, which is right near the airport. So as you fly into Homer, you'll see the slough right nearby there. And there's a, a nature trail called the Calvin and Coyle Trail. It's only a mile long loop, but it has a viewing platform that looks out over that slough. The coyotes come through there all the time.
1: Yeah, we were actually on it. Yesterday.
2: And I saw some tracks, and I'm like, oh, that's a dog." No. I'll bet you. Because I didn't see any human lot of, tracks at all. A I lot of dogs it.
1: there too, but like, yeah. Uh, so
0: when I first came to Homer in yeah, ninety nine, I had my black Labrador with me, and he thought he saw a bunch of new friends, and they were five <laughs> coyotes that were working a pincher maneuver on him. It was pretty funny to watch, and yeah, then it got scary.
1: <laughs> it, it can, yeah, because they don't want the other. They don't want competition. Nope.
0: No. 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 One coyote's fine for a dog. Five of them? The the one in the middle wagged its tail, the other four moved in to close in and they were not snarling and yeah, they were going to sneak up on them. So So you cover a lot of ground, Yep. what, any wolves? Uh, There are some wolves straight across from us over at the Woznisinski Glacier, there's a pack of wolves over there that are incredibly shy. So I've seen them twice in the 20 years I've been here. People that fly, like they can do some flyovers, there's some really nice uh, flight scene opportunities to go into the park. Uh, they more regularly see them so yeah.
1: so what's your favorite you've favorite, been here 20 years favorite now. animal that, to see is there something that just you haven't done encounter. in Alaska or favorite encounter that you've had yeah uh,
0: again orcas are probably my favorite uh, next to sharks so sharks are my God, I, my boat is called the orca because my favorite movie is Jaws like I just <laughs> like I probably saw it way too young I was like three or four years old but it just burned into my brain that sharks are cool boats are cool And uh, I was coming out of a bay a year ago and we get, you know, tens of thousands of salmon that show up here in huge schools Well, chasing those salmon besides the orca are salmon sharks. Salmon sharks, And salmon sharks look like a great white, like white shark. You know, they can be 10 to 12 feet long and they're, uh, but they behave like makos. They're very fast. They're agile. They love to jump. So as I'm coming out of the bay, I see a fin. I think, oh, it's going to be a small orca. And then right alongside the boat, I look over and there is a salmon shark, eight, nine feet clear out of the water, right alongside me, chasing after these salmon, which are jumping as well. And I just, I, that's burned into my brain. It was the coolest
2: experience. What time of year is that? That was uh, late August. Yeah. Late August. That's
1: funny because I've seen video and seen documentaries on salmon sharks. And to be honest, they look kind of lethargic.
0: Yeah, so they start out, you know, they're just cruising slowly along. They're uh, in the lamnid family. And so, Makos, white sharks, and uh, salmon sharks, their body temperature is warmer than the surrounding water. They're like tuna. So, they have the ability for huge bursts of speed. I mean, a, a mako's like 36, 37 miles an hour. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, they talk about what I, as a surfer, you think about when you're when in California, like white sharks will come underneath and they'll get up to burst. 25 miles an hour they're 5,000 pounds it's like a you know getting hit by a truck (laughs) so yeah the power is pretty incredible so yeah seeing those salmon sharks and so now i have my rov and i have this dream of being able to see these salmon sharks and you can commercially fish or and sport fish for salmon sharks they're really fun to catch uh chumming for salmon sharks and then putting the drone over the side and seeing if we can track them and watch them move around so you could be on the boat looking at the screen and being able to see the chart.
2: So you're driving, so a drone, we fly drones a lot. Yeah. So you'll just take the drone off and you're the pilot and you're just going wherever you want to go. Same thing with the Same underwater. thing. So it is tethered. Yeah. to send a video
0: yeah, signal I was back. Ask yeah. but it's got a 300 foot long tether, uh, but it uses an Xbox controller to move it. And so it has a video screen on the Xbox controller. And then that wires to a, like a 26 inch uh, flat screen. So people that aren't driving it can
2: go and watch and see what everybody else is seeing. So when your son is like ten years old or fourteen, he's gonna be a better pilot than you are. Yeah, okay. Right? <laughs> you know that's a thing. So you get this Xbox controller, you put it into the
0: hands of someone that's thirty-five years old, and they're turning it upside down. And when <laughs> you know, get twelve-year-old, right. ten-year-old, they got it.
2: It's done. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm thinking. Skill base. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, so. If anybody wants to contact you, how do they do that? And and obviously we heard about all your services, but if there's anything you want to point out above and beyond that, sure. Of what you guys do, what you guys offer,
0: sure. So I like we have we, we kind of pride ourselves on being super flexible. But like whatever you're interested in doing, we actually, if you're a photographer, we can do individualized tours. We charter the boat for one person even, or it's up to six. If you have a big group, we have a boat that can handle twenty five. Uh, we are real active on our Facebook page, so Mako's Water Taxi on Facebook. Uh, you can email me at Captain Kurt Jackson. That's all spelled out, Captain C U R T Jackson, at Gmail. Uh, you can uh, um, email Mako at Mako at xyz.net. Give us a phone call. Or we answer our phone seven days a week, 365 a year, and that's 907 235
1: 9055. Excellent
2: let's well, go photograph
1: some we, uh, yeah yeah i've enjoyed it. this conversation after you talk after talking to you on the boat and realizing what your background was and yeah very articulate it's been a fun conversation to have and and learn a little bit more about the area that we're in and and for our listeners the opportunities and potential that they have in making a trip up here
0: it's an incredible place yeah come see us